Hello and welcome to the Allplane podcast, where we talk about commercial aviation in the company of those people that are working to define the future of this industry. But first of all, let me repeat my usual reminder, and of course my invitation, to visit our website, allplane.tv, that is A-L-L-P-L-A-N-E dot TV. There you will find plenty of interesting content about commercial aviation and of course all the 26 preceding episodes of this podcast. 26 episodes already, can't believe that. Anyway, our guest today is Jason Chua. He's the co-founder together with Paul Eremenko, a former head of Airbus Innovation Arm as well as some other experienced aviation and technology professionals of one of the hottest green aviation startups out there. Universal Hydrogen. And what is so interesting about Universal Hydrogen? Well, it proposes a relatively straightforward and efficient solution to one of the main obstacles preventing a faster and more widespread adoption of hydrogen as a clean energy source for aviation. When talking about carbon-free aviation, most of the attention is set on the actual propulsion system. But there is an equally important aspect to consider. This is the logistics of hydrogen supply as well as the challenge of replacing or converting the world's current airliner fleet. And Universal Hydrogen seems to have found an answer to both these questions. Basically, Universal Hydrogen has come up with an innovative technological and financial model to sort this out. The beauty of this technology is in the apparent simplicity and flexibility of the hydrogen capsules developed by Universal Hydrogen. Many of you will note the similarities with the Nespresso business model. Yes, you heard that right, the Nespresso of the coffee capsules. If this system proves its worth, the first installations may happen relatively soon, and from there, the sky is the limit, quite literally in this case. The world's major aircraft manufacturers and the rest of the aviation technology ecosystem are in all likelihood paying very close attention to what this Californian startup is doing. So let me welcome Jason to the podcast so that he can explain it all in his own words. Hello, Jason. How are you? Good. How are you? Thanks for having me. Thank you very much for uh, being today here on the podcast. I was really looking forward to have this conversation because I think you are one of the companies that has one of the most interesting proposals out there to really transform the aviation industry. Also very interesting from a business point of view. You are the COO of Universal Hydrogen. I'm just going to ask you now to just quickly introduce yourself. I've seen you've got a very strong background in in the technology industry. If you could please uh, tell us a bit about yourself and also about Universal Hydrogen and and what you guys are doing. Sure, sure. So, um, yeah, so my name is Jason Chua. I'm the COO of Universal Hydrogen. Um, I've been in the aviation space for the past, I don't know, five, six years. So uh, I guess relative newcomer. Um, but it feels like a long time. I've done a lot of a lot of fun things. So before I co-founded the company, uh, I was at United Technologies, where I built and ran their uh, their advanced projects group, sort of their Skunk Works organization. We called it UTEP, United Technologies Advanced Projects. As part of that, we launched um, I think the the largest hybrid electric flight demonstrator, Project 804, um, out of that group. Uh, before that, I was at Airbus um, for a couple of years uh, out of their Silicon Valley office. Um, and then I've also, as you mentioned, spent some time in the consumer electronics industry at Google and, and a couple other startups sort of interspersed between there. Uh, but the rest of my co-founders, uh, we actually all work together 
um, at United Technologies right before starting this company. Uh, so John, JP, and Paul. Um, Paul being the former CTO of uh, both uh, United Technologies and Airbus, mm -hmm. um, and the other two, you know, being <clears throat> being top executives at those companies. Um, and we came together after after leaving United Technologies, and we asked ourselves, well, what what are some things that we can do now um, that we couldn't do as part of a large corporation? Because large corporations are really great in terms of building, you know, to everyday pro products and and pushing incremental innovation, but it's, it's very difficult to do step change disruptive um, disruptive innovation as part of a large company, or especially in aerospace. It's it's very safety focused, very um, very conservative. Indeed. And so, uh, so what we decided is we felt that there was a really big opportunity to decarbonize the sector. I think we're all, I think everyone's increasingly conscious about their carbon footprints, and certainly we as very heavy flyers ourselves were increasingly conscious about how we might be able to reduce our impact on the planet and really help the industry um, tackle its biggest challenge, which is decarbonization. Uh, you take a look at the, the emissions trajectory that, that is necessary uh, to achieve the goals of the Paris Agreement, and you have to half emissions by 2030 and go to net zero by 2050. Most industries have a pretty good roadmap to get there. Aviation unfortunately does not, right? right? It's, it's just a very stubbornly, stubbornly, um, stubborn to, it's, it's not stubborn people, but the technology is stubborn, right? It's very difficult to do. And yes. what we came around to after doing an analysis uh, was that in order to decarbonize a sector, really, you really need to decarbonize the fuel, right? You can't eke out another 1% one, another 1 in aerodynamic efficiency or operational efficiency. That's not gonna, that's not gonna cut it as we have air travel, you know, continue to double every 15 years. And so that's, that's what we ended up deciding to tackle uh, as part of our, our new venture together. Yeah, actually, what I found really interesting about your project is it actually tackles one of the, what I think are one of the main issues, which is actually how you service all these new technologies. So um, I've seen lots of, well, lots, a few people trying to do things like engines and powertrains. For example, uh, just a few days ago, I was talking with a person from Zero Avia. We had a, an episode here working on hydrogen, and that's really cool. But then the, the other question that comes next is how you transform the whole ecosystem and the whole infrastructure that needs to support this industry. And that's where you come into play, because what you guys are doing, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you have come up with a system to simplify fueling. I don't know if in hydrogen that's the right word. Uh, you also call it, call it fueling, but basically you come up with a way to provide the hydrogen in a simple and efficient way and actually to do it on planes that already exist today. So yeah, I'm going to ask you to explain a little bit about your concept and how you plan to basically to refit regional aircraft with a new hydrogen propulsion system that can be up and running in a relatively short period of time while solving also the logistics problem with the, with the fueling. Yeah, so I, I guess I, you know, based, based on the folks that we've interviewed in the past, I probably don't have to sell you on the fact that hydrogen, hydrogen is, is a really sort of an ideal fuel for, for aviation, right? It's super lightweight and has really good energy content. And the aerospace industry has known this since the 1950s, at least, right? And so it's been around for a long time. Um, and you ask, you ask any of the people that have worked on any of these demonstrator projects at Lockheed Martin or Boeing or Airbus or wherever, right? Why, why don't we have hydrogen airplanes today, like widespread all across everyone's fleet? And 
what they'll tell you is that the reason it doesn't have uh, that doesn't exist is because you can't get hydrogen fuel at most airports or really any airports, right? Or maybe there was a couple now, but there's just not the same availability of that fuel. And so that became our mantra, right? We saw that there were other people already tackling powertrains and already trying to do other portions of the hydrogen aviation ecosystem, including Airbus, who in September, as you know, right, they, they announced that they, they were well, working on some hydrogen. There is the issue with, um, with the volume as well. You need a significant space to store it. That can be a bit of an issue as well. Uh, yeah, so you do, you do need a little bit more volume, um, but it's, it's fairly simple, right? We've actually done some, some moderately detailed analysis that show that if you just stretch the tube and the tube in the normal tube and wing, uh, tube and wing structure, or architecture, uh, you can create a single aisle aircraft that can fly the same missions that the long range single aisle aircraft can fly today. And so I think it's, it's, it's maybe less, it's less of a challenge than you would think, especially on a clean sheet aircraft. Obviously in a retrofit case, it's not built to be optimized for that, but the economics still look quite good. But yeah, I, I think, you know, to your point, like our, our approach to, to uh, solving the hydrogen distribution uh, challenge is I think a pretty unique one. So instead of replicating the oil and gas pipeline, tanker truck, tanker ship, you know, fuel terminal infrastructure, if we tried to do that, it would be, you know, a trillion dollars at least, right? And I don't know about you, but I don't have that much money <laughs> laying around. <laughs> um, yeah, we tried to do something that was a little bit more capital efficient. And um, we were inspired, actually, it's kind of a funny inspiration, right? But um, when I explain it, hopefully it'll make sense. So you know, like Nespresso, uh, the Nespresso coffee maker. You know, right? I I had I had this written here. I had this written here. The Nespresso analogy. Right? <laughs> I actually I, I I was about to ask you about this. Like like literally, you guys um, took the business model of Nespresso for for your for your model of hydrogen capsules. <laughs> yeah, that's absolutely right. So it's the idea is if you can create uh, create a a packaging for for this fuel whether it's caffeine or hydrogen and make it easy to transport you don't have to create coffee pipelines right you just use the normal intermodal freight network and that's what we're using for hydrogen as well right we've created these special hydrogen capsules these special hydrogen containers that are designed to be safely transportable in trucks and ships and you know container ships and on on trains and things like that using the normal freight distribution network and because we do that, we don't have to build any custom infrastructure. We use the infrastructure that already exists. You can ship anything from anywhere to any other place, right? And so it's already ubiquitous. You don't have to build out an extensive network. And it's also really efficient, right? This is how we get most of the things that we buy from one place to another. And it's, it's a very cost efficient network too. And so we're piggybacking on existing infrastructure to get hydrogen around the world by creating this modular distribution system. Um, and then, of course, that modular distribution system plugs into the airplane in the same way an espresso pod plugs into an espresso coffee maker, right? Mm -hmm. So we're designing a two, two megawatt class uh, aircraft powertrain to retrofit for a regional turboprop. Um, and these hydrogen modules pop into the aircraft and they, it just, it's sort of like a removable fuel tank. And the other cool part about that is at airports, um, so one of the one of the questions is how do you actually get fuel into the plane? Do you, do you need new fuel trucks? Do you need to put in new fuel hydrants uh, in the tarmac? All that stuff is very expensive. Or do you have to build on-site hydrogen storage or have on-site hydrogen production everywhere? We're saying you don't have to do any of that, right? You you just have to have existing cargo loading and unloading equipment, so pallet lifters, 
Uh, we've actually even designed for forklift compatibility for more remote airports. These modules get loaded onto the aircraft in a very similar way to containerized cargo does today. Um, and so that means you don't need new infrastructure to ship it. You don't need new infrastructure to load it at airports. The only thing you need to do is uh, get your aircraft retrofit um, from, uh, from jet fuel burning to, to hydrogen consuming. Yeah, actually, I found an article that's very informative uh, that explains your, your system. I'm going to post it on the show notes to summarize. So basically, you take an airplane and you would uh, create a space inside the airframe, inside the fuselage. It's going to be a capsule, literally like, a, like a, an espresso capsule, as you, as you mentioned. Mm -hmm. You would just lift it, insert it there. And that is going to feed an engine that's going to be also obviously adapted to, to run with a fuel cell. These engines, um, do you make them yourself or you have partnered with, uh, with another company, right? That does the, the, the powertrain. Yeah, so we, uh, we've partnered. So we're, we're, we're constructing our, our own powertrain because we believe that we have okay. a, you know, our, our team, we're, we're all engineers, right? We've been working on airplanes mm -hmm. for a while and at, at, at some pretty large scales. And so we feel that in order to make, make this hydrogen transition happen faster. So our, our goal is to make the transition to hydrogen power as quick as possible, because that's what's gonna get us out of this emissions crisis. Um, we, we feel that we need to build our, our own powertrain, uh, at least in the beginning, so we can get, get these planes flying, get the fuel flowing, and, and really start decarbonizing the sector. So we're putting together, I think, what, what I think will be the largest air, uh, power, power level in terms of powertrain. Um, we're not, you know, building the components ourselves. We're working with some of our uh, partners that, uh, that we've announced are Plug Power on the fuel cell side and Magniax on the electric motor side um, to uh, put together this powertrain. And uh, that's, that's going to allow us to fly about 40 people um, in this converted aircraft by 2025, which is pretty cool. What sort of power are we talking about? That's uh, 2 megawatt class. Okay. That's going to be possible on conversion of uh, ATR. Uh, 42 and dash eight turboprops. Yeah, so it actually works for both the for ATR 42 and ATR uh -huh. 72, um, and across I, I believe the full range of the dash eight family. So that's mm -hmm. I mean those two aircraft alone are more than three quarters of the of the regional turboprop market. Yeah, actually, one of the things I found interesting is that your project is based on on retrofitting the existing fleet, which I guess makes it easier to adopt by airlines. And from what I read, the business model you are proposing is that you would do the retrofit, correct me if I'm wrong, then basically your business model is that you would supply the fuel. So you, you would have a, some sort of subscription model, providing you with regular income in exchange for you doing this initial CapEx investment. Yeah, I, I think you know, the way I would describe it is one of the unique, portion, uh, unique components of, our, of the way we, we monetize the, the hydrogen economy in aviation is that we don't actually have to make that much money on the powertrain sale or the aircraft sale. We monetize the fuel. That's what we're really interested in. And so we're, we're able to offer aircraft conversions at a very attractive cost uh, and fuel also at a very attractive cost. We actually ran the numbers and the direct operating cost, the cost per available seat kilometer across all of these aircraft types um, in normal use is actually the same or if not lower than, than, it, is, than, would, than it would be for jet fuel for, for the comparable aircraft, right? And so what we're able to go to airlines with is the value proposition where you say, hey, you know, for very little money up, up front, so no upfront costs, uh, we can give you an aircraft that does not have any carbon emissions 
and your direct operating costs is going to be the same or lower than you're currently paying. If I were an airline, I would immediately sign up. What about performance? Is it going to have the same type of performance than regular? Yeah, food? absolutely. So one of our design criteria for the powertrain was that we wanted to match or exceed performance uh, of the incumbent powertrain that we're displacing. So absolutely performance will be uh, as good, if not better. Um, so one of the things that's kind of fun is that we're including a small battery as part of the powertrain. So we can, we can give the fuel cell some time to spool up. And so you might even get some faster response times uh, in transients uh, with, with our powertrain. So kind of like the Tesla effect. Wow. And where would this, all these hydrogen come from? Are you going to produce it yourself? Which method are you going to use to produce it? So we, we, we are not going to be in the hydrogen production business, or that's not our intent. Again, there's a lot of hydrogen production um, folks that are out there, uh, and we want to partner with them. If you think about, uh, so like I, like I mentioned, many industries are starting to decarbonize their operations. The electrical generation industry is certainly one of them. And so as the grid shifts more and more towards renewable power, there's going to be a lot of opportunity for off-peak generation of electricity, uh, which is very, very low cost, to go towards the production of hydrogen, which is a really great way to store that energy. And then we can take that hydrogen, which could be renewably produced wherever in the world it exists at, you know, wherever the lowest cost of, uh, of hydrogen is, or there's the best subsidies, or it's closest to our ultimate point of consumption to that airport. Um, we can sort of triage that in real time. We've actually developed some tools that allow us to optimize uh, connecting the place of hydrogen production with the, with the place of hydrogen consumption to optimize for cost. Um, uh, and we can get that stuff, we can sort of build out a network uh, and deliver that hydrogen anywhere in the world that we need to deliver it. And so that means that in the beginning, in the early days, as hydrogen production builds out, we can still service every, any airport in the world and as the hydrogen production network gets more and more dense, and maybe there's some on-site production at some airports and not on-site production at other airports, that's still fine. To the airline, it'll look exactly the same. The hydrogen will still show up in the same way, in the same format. They don't have to worry about building new electrolysis plants um, any time they want to expand the route map. But you would run the logistics of this operation as well? Correct. Yep. Mm -hmm. Okay, very interesting. And what about safety? One of the questions that often comes up with, when talking about hydrogen is, is how safe is this? Yeah, no, so hydrogen is, it is a safe fuel, right? Like I said, people have been flying around in hydrogen powered planes since, since 1956, I think was the first hydrogen, manned hydrogen powered flight. Um, and so people, people are very well aware of the safety characteristics of hydrogen. And actually there's, there's some really interesting research around automotive hydrogen back in the 50s and 60s uh, there are some people that really wanted to do some pretty rigorous testing. They, they tried really hard to explode hydrogen fuel tanks. And they just hydrogen just doesn't really explode very readily um, versus jet fuel or, or gasoline, right? You get in a car crash and then the fuel starts to pool and then it burns and it's no good. Hydrogen in general, it escapes really rapidly. The velocity of the flame is quite, quite high. And so what you get is this very undramatic uh, picture where you have uh, a small flame pointing upwards. And um, I, can, I can probably share these images with you. Uh, mm -hmm. And so it, it actually is quite safe in crash conditions. And, and certainly there's been a lot of uh, research on this as, as, as it's become uh, more and more prevalent in the transportation, uh, transportation sector. And is it going to be in gas or liquid form that you're gonna have it? Because uh, I think the liquid form requires a very stringent temperature conditions, right? 
Yeah, uh, we we do both, right? We want to give airlines the opportunity to choose. Um, so for the regional segments, certainly you can do, I think about three quarters of the routes that air, uh, that these aircraft currently fly with gas. And so that's that's certainly an easier option because it, like like you said, you don't have to have any sort of or you don't have that very much temperature control. But for some of the longer routes, you may need liquid, and so we have a liquid format as well. Uh, and the cool thing is that our powertrain is compatible with both. You don't have to decide, you know, from the beginning. You can swap out a gas module from a liquid module, and it'll work exactly the same. The powertrain doesn't really know the difference. And so you have a lot of flexibility on that front. In practical terms, when it's fitted into the aircraft, you would be taking some, some space from the actual revenue area where like the, the seeds are located. So I guess you would need to offer a compelling case to, to the airlines. I mean, you mentioned earlier how this is very, very cost effective, but you can take some of the seeds out and still run at a profit as an airline. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I, I want to be clear about this, right? So um, for a retrofit case, of course, you know, you will have to remove a couple of rows of seats for, for most of these um, regional aircraft, but you do get lower trip costs. The economics I was talking about, it's not just it's cheaper per flight, but you get lower, you get less people. It's, it's actually on a per person basis, it's uh -huh. cheaper. So it's just a couple of rows you need to take out. Yeah, just on, a couple on an of ATR. rows. Okay. I, I haven't done the numbers, of course, but that sounds not so bad. I mean, if, uh, if you see some, some designs uh, that I've seen, they, they are kind of bulky, but if you can fit it in the, in the existing cabin, that's quite interesting. Yeah, the, the hydrogen capsules that we've developed are actually about twice as efficient uh, as the current state of the art. So it, it, we, we happen to have a, a modular solution that we think is really interesting, but it's also mm -hmm. really efficient from a, from a space mm -hmm. and weight perspective. What, what about uh, other larger aircraft? Is this in the roadmap? Absolutely. I, I mean, like I said, we want to decarbonize the entire sector and the entire sector is more than just regional turboprops. Actually, the reason that we're starting with regional turboprops is because it has really, so first of all, you can do anything smaller with the technology that we're using. So, you know, you, if, you, if it works for an ATR, you can imagine it'll work for Cessnas, it'll work for the urban air mobility sector that's emerging. Um, so all of that can be done using existing technology and, and uh, can be serviced using our fuel distribution system. But the real price here is the single hour market, right? That's where the vast majority of fuel is burned. That's where the vast majority of miles are flown um, and the vast majority of people travel, right? And so that's really what we have our eyes on. And as we're seeing, the like Boeing and OEA, uh, Boeing and Airbus and, and Comac potentially they're looking at the next generation for their single owl families. And we think that there's a very good chance that at least one of these programs is gonna go hydrogen. And like I mentioned, right, the biggest question they have is where's the hydrogen gonna come from? If I build this plane, how my, how my airline's gonna get that fuel? So our goal behind uh, going after this, you know, 40, 40 seat regional turboprop market is to say, hey, you know, Airbus and Boeing, like, the people that are flying these planes are your customers, right? They're flag carriers. They're sort of airlines of a reasonable size. Um, they're going to get comfortable with hydrogen. They're going to get comfortable with our hydrogen distribution system. And so they're going to believe that it's a, it's a feasible thing to run their operations on hydrogen. And so they'll be first in line to buy a hydrogen-powered single-aisle aircraft. That's mm -hmm. what our goal is. And so we want to be ready by the time these things roll out in the 2030s. We want to have a couple of years of operation under our belt. Um, to show that we can scale and provide hydrogen at the scale that uh, that we're going to need to in order to power 
the single aisle, um, single aisle segment. Mm -hmm. Are you talking to uh, regulators already to get this certified? Yeah, I think, you know, one of the one of our, our team's strengths, I think, is our experience in aircraft engineering and certification. So I, I am the least tenured in aviation. I think the other folks on the the other co-founders on the team have decades of aviation safety and engineering experience. And so we, we are looking at certification not as an app thought, not as a black box that we think is scary and don't understand, but as as true partners. Right. And so we're engaging them early. We're engaging them often. Uh, we want to understand how to make sure that what we're doing is first and foremost safe, uh, but we also want to make sure that we are having really open and transparent dialogue with the folks that are going to help us make sure that what we do is safe so we can get this thing off the ground as soon as possible, as safely as possible, and um, really start to decarbonize the sector. Okay. And what's your time frame? Where are you, where are you now along this road? And what are the next, uh, the next milestones you expect to reach in terms of time? Yeah, so we're we're just getting started. So we've been going for a little bit under a year, uh, but we we do work we do work fast, right? Uh, we've done several yeah. thousand uh, hours of engineering around the powertrain uh, and around the hydrogen storage system. We've actually built some prototypes of our hydrogen capsule, um, and we're in the process of putting together a subscale version of our uh, of our hydrogen powertrain. And so that's where we are now. Uh, we believe that we can get this thing fully certified and revenue producing by 2025, if not if not earlier. And the folks that we've talked to with the FAA say that that is a reasonable time frame to to hit um, to shoot for as well. To to get it certified or to get it up and running already in operation commercially. Uh, yeah, up and running and fully certified with with a supplemental type certificate. Obviously, we'll be doing flight tests uh, quite a bit earlier, 2022 type okay. time frame. Where are you guys based? Are you based in California? Yeah, we are a Los Angeles-based company. Okay. Although today you are in New York, I think. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I haven't, I haven't yet flown, uh, flown over okay. to the West Coast, but our CEO Paul is out there. Uh, he's, okay. he's, uh, he's looking for an office for us, so we all have a space to go. Mm -hmm. and so I'm waiting for that space uh, okay. before I sign a new lease out there. Very good. If people want to learn more about your company, where should they go? I checked your website, but at the moment it's kind of a bit of a placeholder. There, there is not much information there. Are there other channels online where people can, can check your technology? Yeah, so I would say the two best places to look for more information are our Twitter feed, which is universal underscore H2, uh, or our LinkedIn page, which is just you know search universal hydrogen and we should pop up. Our website, as you say, it is pretty bare bones right now. We're sort of, we're, we're not, I wouldn't say we're in stealth mode still, right? But um, mm -hmm. we, we're not quite as public about our our, gigant, our sort of our, our overall strategy. Um, we plan to be a bit more public in the coming months. Uh, to announce new members of the team and new partnerships and things like that. But for now, uh, I think the best place to get a continual feed of information would be on our Twitter account and our LinkedIn account. Um, but I will say, if you are interested in, in joining the team, um, and we are, uh, our team uh, will be growing um, quite a bit over the next year or so, uh, there is a place on our website to sign up and say, hey, let me, please let me join your talent network so we can keep you in mind for future openings. Yeah, I was about to say, you know, it's, uh, I mean, for many engineers that might be now starting their careers and, and they're thinking ahead about the future of aviation, that sounds like a, you know, like a great, great place, great team, great experience to, to grow in a, in a very promising technology. And just to wrap it up, you are one of the players in what we, can, we might say the, uh, the hydrogen economy. What's your view for this ecosystem? 
going forward, uh, the next, uh, let's say in the next decade, the next couple of decades, we have seen Airbus making big announcement earlier this year, just uh, betting strongly in the, on, on hydrogen. Um, we have seen other, other players as well announcing projects in the, in the field of hydrogen. In parallel, there's also lots of, um, there are lots of initiatives to electrify uh, mainly in the in the smaller plane segment, but but still, I mean, it's a, it's an area where there's there's been lots of interest and lots of investment. What's your view? What's your vision? I think there's no doubt that the industry needs to decarbonize. I think everyone knows that. I think the question is, how is it going to happen? Uh, is it going to be electric? Is it going to be hydroelectric? Is it going to be hydrogen? So I think you know our our founding team has been has worked on a lot of these projects, right? We've, we've actually been responsible for launching quite a few of them. Um, and over the past year, I think we've thoroughly convinced ourselves that hydrogen is the future fuel for aviation. And that's exactly why we're hoping to be a part of that transition. We, we want to make that transition happen faster. And so as the industry shifts more and more rapidly towards a hydrogen, uh, hydrogen as a power source, uh, I think you're going to see a lot of activity in the space. I think you're going to see new power plant companies um, emerge. You're going to see OEMs start to be more and more public about the hydrogen projects that they're working on. Um, and I think, it's, I think you're right. I think it is a really exciting time to be in the aviation world because I think, I think especially coming out of this pandemic, right? I think we all really tangibly understand the value of being able to connect with one, one, other, one another in person. And so I think we're gonna continue to wanna do that, but we're gonna wanna do that in a way that is really, really thoughtful um, in terms of how we impact uh, the climate, right? And so being able to shift to a carbon-free fuel like hydrogen is going to be a key part of uh, the industry being able to make that transition so we can continue to enable the really rich interpersonal connections that, that, this, that the industry does today. Mm -hmm. what, what would be the aviation equivalent of peak oil? Is there like a tipping point you envisage? I don't know if there's any report or any survey that you know, has put a, a number on that, a date on that peak aviation oil. Yeah, I, 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 um, I don't have those projections, but what I, what I will say anecdotally is that everyone in the industry knows that if they don't act soon, people are going to get mad at them and not fly anymore, right? Um, and so, I mean, we've, we've talked to a number of different chairmen and CEOs of major airlines, and they've told us even in the middle of the pandemic, while there's a lot of other things that they, that they need to deal with, sustainability is very, very much at the forefront of all the discussions that they have in the boardroom. Yeah. Because they know if they yeah they they know that if it doesn't happen now, it's going to be too late, given the timescales of development in the in, in aerospace, and that's one of the reasons that we're working on this right now, and one of the reasons that we're targeting retrofit first is because you can't you can't wait five years, you can't wait ten years to start because by that time, the you know, it'll mm -hmm. be far too late. You really need to start this now to to get. Uh, decarbonized aircraft flying by 2025 and be ready for the big switch to come in the 2030s as the new generation of decarbonized single IRL aircraft roll off the assembly line. I was just about to mention that I possibly the next generation already. I mean, we have now generation of airplanes like planes like the 320, the 737s that have been around for decades, but at some point you will need to come up with a new, well, not you personally, but I mean, the, the industry would need to come up with a with a clean sheet design, possibly would need to start from, from scratch being non-fossil fuel powered. I follow the aviation industry, I get lots of news, press releases, et cetera. And 
indeed. Besides the pandemic, the other big topic is the uh, sustainability angle all the time, everywhere. So it's it's big. Yeah, you are you are riding a a big wave, I would say. <laughs> so um, are are you privately funded? Do you have uh, who's behind uh, the venture apart from from you and, and and your partners personally? Yeah, so we are privately funded. We do have some investors. We're, we we haven't announced who they are quite yet, and mm-hmm. uh, we are continuing to attract more and more investor interest. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, announcement should come sometime soon. <laughs> okay, <laughs> we'll keep an eye on it then. Well, thank you so much. Um, I think it's been a, a fantastic introduction to to a truly innovative idea, that of uh, creating this this standardized, easy to use, and efficient system to uh, to facilitate this uh, transition to to the hydrogen economy in aviation. I'll be posting uh, references and links to all of these things that we have been discussing in the show notes, and yeah, definitely. We'll be keeping an eye on what you guys are doing because I'm sure we're going to have some novelties in the coming months and years. See, sounds good. Well, thanks, thanks again for having me on on uh, on the show, Michael. It's uh, it's always a pleasure. Anytime, a pleasure. Thank you very much. And one more thing before you go: remember, you can subscribe to the Oplane Podcast on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, on Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and many other platforms. If you like this podcast, please do not hesitate to give it a good rating or to recommend it to a friend. See you soon.